Welcome back to Audience, a Castos original experience. Broadcasting from the center of your audio universe, where the most creative podcasters find their home at castos.com. Press play right here in your podcast player every week. It's like a cheat sheet for marketing, monetizing, and growing your podcast. So good, you'll want to share castos.com slash audience with your closest friends. Okay, Audience starts now. Hey, Stuart, what's happening? Hey, Matt. Everything's happening, man. How about you? Yeah, everything's happening. Your, <laughs> your state's about to uh, get turned upside down uh, with uh, some college hoops. Yeah, if you don't... I mean, I think like people understand like intellectually that Duke and Carolina <laughs> is a big yeah. rivalry, but if you don't live here and you didn't grow up with ACC basketball and not doing school for a week... And like these were like when I say like not doing school for a week, I mean this was sanctioned. Nobody's doing schoolwork. This was the teacher rolls out that old TV cart and you turn on the game. That's what college basketball is like in North Carolina. It's yeah. pretty intense. Uh, battle lines have been drawn. Oh, yeah. uh, it's Duke versus Carolina in the Final Four. Mike Shazeski's last uh, hurrah, as it were. So hopefully, at the risk of not alienating anybody, I'm I'm uh, Team Carolina. <laughs> there goes there goes a small percentage right. of listenership. My best friend, he uh, is a huge Duke fan, but his his sister, one of his sisters, played for North Carolina when she was in college. And his sons, he has two sons, and they are they both. One of them is a total North Carolina fan. The other, total Duke fan. So it's just like. The perfect time to be well, in their house, house right houses, now. <laughs> yeah, houses divided. That's that's what it's like around here. There's there's a lot of those uh, dynamics, and then there's and then there's those like my wife who got her master's degree from NC State. For <laughs> those who, for uh, those, uh, would she appreciate that slight chuckle that you just did at the tail end of that? Probably not. I, l- let me let me uh, let me say she has her master's degree, which in and of itself is is pretty uh, impressive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as someone sure. who is someone who is a mediocre student at best, uh, yeah. Big big kudos to anyone who who got their master's degree. But yeah, fun fun stuff. It's going to be interesting for sure. Speaking of uh, house houses divided. Audience podcast. No, I'm just kidding. It's not that aggressive. Um, we're here to talk today about sort of setting the stage of where we're going with the audience podcast. Dear listener, you, you've you heard Stuart's voice before. before. You've listened to his, his master work uh, behind the scenes with the production stuff and his interviews. And, um, you know, moving forward, we'll be hearing more from Stuart. We'll talk about that in a moment. But we just wrapped up another podcast that Again, you've heard us talk about here on audience, Three Clips, threeclipspodcast.com. Uh, season two has come to a close, and uh, the podcast will be on pause for a little bit until we can maybe focus a little bit more attention on that podcast. It was quite a lift. It was quite an endeavor. I learned a lot. It's tough to do two successful podcasts <laughs> at once. What are your thoughts on what you had to do, Stuart, for production on a on a series like three clips versus I don't know what we do here at audience, which is which is largely just interview or you and I getting together. Yeah, I, I love three clips. Yeah, so it it was it was more work, but it was one of those more like a labor of love rather than uh, something that that felt labor intensive. One thing I hope Three Clips does for people, I mean, the idea of it was to just kind of inspire some creativity in people. But I want to share a little bit about what we did behind the scenes, because I think it'll maybe give people 
abstract is the wrong word, but maybe some of the work that's not very obvious to make it a podcast. So if you hadn't heard three clips, long and short of it is we brought on other podcasters and kind of broke down the creative process of their show, analyzing three clips, right? That's how, that's how we got the name. So uh, for season two, we teamed up with Evo Terra now in the podcast movement hall of fame. So big congrats to Evo. And basically we didn't start from scratch with season two. You know, I was involved in the show back when Jay Akunzo, who created the show and came up with the concept when, when he was running it. So we had a lot to build off of in terms of format and possible leads for for guests. But really, if you want to think about where we started with season two, it was kind of like, all right, we're going to have eight episodes. And I came into it with the idea of we're going to have a diverse range of shows featured from the creators themselves, diversity in that sense, to the types of shows being featured. Uh, so, so really, I, I just made a database of probably, I don't know, several dozen interesting ideas for shows. And then I spent two days sending out feelers and trying to just gauge people's interest level. And then I started filling out a production schedule based on who responded to those initial inquiries. So, so from there, it was getting people booked. And that meant a pre-call with me. In most cases, we had some higher, we had some bigger names that we didn't really feel that was necessary to do. One example was Sam Greenspan. But even with Sam, I, I spoke to Sam on the phone very briefly Another person was Avery Truffleman. You might know her from 99% Invisible, Articles of Interest, and the show we featured with her was Nice Try. She didn't feel the need to do a pre-call. She's a podcasting pro. She didn't really need to be <laughs> you know, debriefed on what, what a podcast interview would, would entail. And for the most part, I mean, look, these were all podcasters. So the, the pre-call interviews, something I'm a, a big advocate of doing, the, these weren't really intensive calls. You know, they they all felt pretty comfortable behind the microphone. But the the research project, the, the research process of that, I don't know if it was real tangible. It was me listening to a lot of their episodes and then making mental notes about all right, what what do we need to to feature? Yeah, I want to break down just down to the most basic level of that production calendar. Like you said, hey, I I made a database first. Right, that's already one leg up. Then I think. Probably 80% of the podcasters that I talk to, especially if they're doing the typical B2B interview show, again, we talk about this a lot, there's nothing wrong with it, but let's just, on this pursuit of excellence to get a little bit better with our interview shows, a lot of folks just say, okay, going to do a podcast, going to do a podcast next week. Let me let me see who I can talk to. And then they find a person every single week, right? It's like sort of living, I don't know, podcaster paycheck to paycheck. <laughs> it's kind of, I got to find somebody, record it, and then ship it, and then find it, do it all again. You took a step back and said, I'm going to create this database first of all these people I think I'm interested in talking to, or would be interested to the show, interesting to the show. Was it when you made that database at first, did you... Did you wipe anybody off the list after you made it? Like, ah, you know what? I don't think this one would be good. Did you ever make that sort of cut, if you will? No, I didn't. No, not at all. I think, I think, um, yeah, it was really, that was just kind of a, a jumping off point for like, all right, let's kind of have a framework for this. And then to your point about the workflow, let's just jump ahead to like getting, I won't, I won't bog people down with the minutia of how, how I went about booking every single guest. Well, I do but, want to ask one question on the booking. Cause I think, I think it gets overlooked again, far too often is people's time, <laughs> your time, people's time. And when you make a list of, let's say eight folks that you'd like to interview for a show like that, 
you sent out all the emails and then you built that, I guess, production calendar around their availability? Or was everyone fairly available so it was kind of easy for you to, to do that? People are pretty available because we got out in front of it, to your point, right? We didn't go week to week. That would have been probably impossible to do, given also just given the the, the caliber of guests we, we had on. So, yeah, because we started that process out a couple months, I think I began. So we, we launched season two in, on January 10th of 2022, and I began the pre-production process probably in November of 2021. So I was I was sending out feelers early in November and was were, was booking guests out and Evo and I were doing interviews by December of 2021. So no, I didn't really wipe anyone off the the list and people were pretty available if you if you give them a lot of notice. I, I try to give it out as, as much as possible. So I say, do you have any time in the coming two months? That that's how far out we got. You can't always do that, but in this case, uh, we were able to, and, and it worked out really well. We we really didn't have too much trouble nailing down interviews. There were there were a couple that were tricky, but for for the most part, given given ourselves that that seasonal approach, first of all, that we talked about, just limiting the scale of of what the season was going to be, and given ourselves enough time, you know, before we started just rolling out episodes every week, made that a lot better. I, I would say by the time we we launched. Uh, season two on January 10th, we had already had, I, th- I want to say, four episodes or four interviews anyway, already recorded and just about the rest already scheduled to happen. I, th- I think by the end, just because you know nothing ever goes according to plan, there was a couple guests that had to cancel and we had to put together some at the at the last minute. But that's where that database like really, really came into play and really helped me out uh, because I actually had the plan actually was some people had gotten back to me after we'd scheduled out the rest of the season. I said, Hey, listen, really excited that you've gotten in touch. Let's, let's stay in touch about this uh, right now. Right now we're booked, but Hey, season three is is coming at some point in the future. And so that, that worked out well when, when someone actually had to back out for us, I just got back in touch with those people and said, Hey, false alarm. We, we'd love to have you on. And it, it worked out. So I think to hopefully to the listeners that that was all pretty seamless. Yeah, it's 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 super important. It's again one. I'll just restate it because of how important I think it is. Is having that plan. You know, I know it sounds so obvious, especially to the seasoned podcasters like you and I, and, and some of the folks listening. That list, the database, who you're going to talk to, doing that that roundup of, hey, we're going to do this thing. Let me send you a calendar link to book it. And oh, by the way, if you use something, you know, as like another side pro tip, if you use something like Savvy Cal or Calendly, like I use, you can actually set it up where you know people have uh, days specifically that you know that they can pick that you want to interview on you can set it up so you can say no more than one interview a day or one interview a week like if you're trying to keep yourself sane <laughs> through a through a, a process like this um, and then you have just that the content calendar so you know like what's coming because yeah it gets pretty hectic when you if you're especially if you're a solo podcaster and you're doing all this yourself it's pretty hectic if uh, all of a sudden you're a month in and you're like, man, I got to get to the next guest. Who was it? What's the story arc? What was the time we're meeting again? Like having all this stuff ahead of time is just like paramount to the success. But now you do the pre-interviews. I'm a huge fan of it. We've talked about it on this podcast before countless times. Massive, massive boon to the quality of, a, of the episode. 
How long were your pre-interviews? 15 minutes, 20 minutes? Longer? Yeah, f- 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah, and it was it was really just to kind of start building a rapport. I, and I would, in, in this case, because I was the producer, I wasn't the host of the show. Uh, I'm I'm rec- I'm also recording these pre-interviews again, not to not to publish or anything like that, but to send to Evo so Evo could listen to it and get a sense for how the guest responds to questions, what's their personality like. Those th- those kind of things really matter a lot because rapport between two people on a podcast is of the utmost importance. And if the first time you ever interface or hear a guest is you know, two minutes before you begin the interview, it's going to take a very talented interviewer and it's going to take a very easygoing and comfortable guest to, to make that work. So, you know, again, I mean, it's, it's also, I, I think with Evo being, you know, one of the first podcasters ever really. Right. And someone who's done this for nearly 20 years, that's a lot to work with from, from a producer standpoint, that's kind of a dream job. I, I didn't ever have to coach Evo up on, on anything. I was able to kind of follow his lead a little bit. Um, if you're newer to interviewing people and you are working with a producer, I probably recommend the host being in all those pre-calls too, just so the guest and the host can kind of get familiar with each other. We were a little more lax with that because I think three clips is a pretty special dynamic. Not only was there a seasoned, you know, acclaimed podcast host, but we were also interviewing other podcasters. So they were by nature, a little more comfortable behind the microphone than, say, an author or a professor or somebody who maybe doesn't do this routinely. In that case, I would say the more time you can prepare them and the more, you know, the higher of comfort level you can provide for them, the better. So it's obviously it's it's no one size fits all. We, we had a little bit more to work with here in terms of just personnel. As somebody who has spent a decade interviewing Small business owners, big business owners, developers, digital artists, the array of responses <laughs> that you get in questions of an interview uh, during an interview are just extremely different from like, you know, segment of type of person. And I, I've had the, the guest on where with, before I started doing pre-interviews where I'm like, hey, this is going to be a great guest. Everything on paper sounds perfect. Like you fit the profile of what my audience wants to hear. And then you get like the one word answers. It's just not not to their fault, right? It's just like you ask a question. It's just like, yeah, here's like this five to 10 second snippet <laughs> of a response. And you're like, could you color it in just a touch more, you know, to like get, keep this conversation going. And then you have those who just don't stop talking. And you're like, okay, pause button. I got to break this up <laughs> and then like stop. So definitely pre-interview, amazing to get that. The rapport, number one, but how does this person react during an interview, and especially if it's not you interviewing it, uh, and you kind of interviewing the person, and you get to kind of prepare Evo for that, which is great. Yeah. Final thing I'll say about that because I don't want—I don't think we want to spend too much time on it. But one, one other point I'll make is, you know, also think about. All right. So one thing with with this was we we had guests who had uh, very public profiles. I'll say Sam Greenspan and Avery Truffleman. First of all, there's Wikipedia articles about them, so that counts for something. Second of all, I think anyone kind of keyed into like radio and podcasting, hopefully those are names you've come across before. And if you haven't, I'd recommend I'd recommend starting with 99% Invisible for both of those people and just to hear good like radio and podcasting and producing in practice or uh, in in its like final form. That right there is a gold mine, and it's just interesting. But again, we didn't have to do extensive. I didn't have to do any extensive background research on them. 
Turns out Eva knew, knew more about them than I did. And that, that helped, again, kind of with the format of the show, because, you know, we had that monologue that we put at the very beginning of it. But then there were other ones. Let's say, uh, you know, you and I were both are both a big fan of what Michael Trapani did with How to Start a War. Now, Michael Trapani had no public profile at all. No, no Twitter page, no Instagram, no LinkedIn, nothing. This no guy, background as a podcaster. <laughs> no <laughs> background as a podcaster. He's an architect, was he? Is he? He he works in tech. Was all he was, oh, was all he, he disclosed tech, okay. to me. Yeah, he, so he works in tech, and uh, yeah, has has a regular day job, but he, he just spent uh, six years making a podcast and that in and of itself actually. And, and, and maybe as we talk about how we are going to loop three clips into, into audience, that's one I'm probably going to have to, we're going to have to revisit. But when when you think about like someone who's new to a a medium, like that's a case study and you don't have to have a ton of experience or any experience uh, to do something well, if you respect the craft. Now we'll, We'll revisit that conversation again. But my point is, yeah, with Michael, I had to, you know, I spent probably 30 or 45 minutes with him talking shop, just getting some some information from him. To this day, that's still one of my favorite three clips episodes of, of all time. I, I really like that one. We we started the, the season two off of that one for a reason. And, and I love that podcast. So, yeah, again, it's just kind of, you know, you're, you're balancing a lot of different dynamics. Who's the guest? Who's the host? What are we trying to accomplish? And then think about how you structure your production process that way. But yeah, long and short, big fan of doing the research on the front end. That work's not always very obvious. You know, I was kind of leaning on, you know, my my own 10 or 12 years of making podcast and radio to to do that. And then, yeah, scheduling pre-calls, all that type of thing. Don't try to float your guest one week to the next. It's not going to be a good experience for anybody. I feel like, I feel like you're, you, the listener can't see us, but I feel like you're looking at me. No, 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 very, no, no, no. With very intense no. eyes. No, no, um, no. And, and this show, editing it all together, I'm going to really simplify it because I'm not an audio engineer. I, I don't know how to edit stuff as well as you or do sound design, stuff like that. The show comes with a baked in sort of format because three clips. So you, like, you know, you're going to have at least these three segments maybe intro, outro, monologue, et cetera, fairly streamlined for you? Or did you have to cut out a lot of the convo that... It was actually a simpler edit, maybe, than someone listening to it would would imagine. And again, I've, I've got to give Jay Akunzo a lot of credit for designing this show. When when he when I took over as a producer, now I, I was sort of building off of the work of the previous producers, uh, Andrea Moraskin and Sherry Turner uh, in particular. I was able to slide in and take over for them pretty seamlessly because what we did, I think that actually made that a lot simpler was we would pull the, obviously the three clips beforehand. Right. And so we would, we would just be on multiple devices. So I would, I would be on a squad cast call with either Jay or Evo eventually and the guest. And then I would have uh, the clips pulled up and uh, I would just have Adobe audition open on my desktop. So when Jay would cue me during the conversation, I would just hit play on my computer now it wouldn't sound all that great, and that's fine. It was just more in real time to get the so the guests could listen to the clip and they could break it down. And then in post, I would go in and take that part out, put the actual clip in. But for the most part, it was it played a lot like a direct to tape interview. We would cut out what I would do in post was, of course, we would just record the whole conversation between say Evo and and the guest, and then in post, I would go in and 
cut out a lot of like the niceties, the banter, the that type of thing, and drop right into an important part of the conversation or really the beginning of the good stuff. And then Evo would go back in and record a monologue and then some closing credits and then just drop all that stuff in. So uh, for the most part, it wasn't wasn't really like a narrative podcast where you're pulling stuff out and you've got this really big, complicated timeline. It was really was pretty close to direct to tape. I, I liked it a lot because I think we, I think utilized the the best of both worlds, right? What's so interv- what's easy about an interview? Well, you know, the guest provides a lot of the material for you, but what's good about a narrative? Well, you can accentuate the things that are really important and give context to everything. So we, we pulled a lot, I think from, from both, but yeah, this was, this was a lot easier to edit than say like a, a typical narrative podcast, but a lot more interesting maybe than just a long Q and a, where maybe the best information gets, gets buried. And aside from the actual, like the, the title three clips, uh, this is something that you can do regardless. It doesn't have to be like this three clips thing. And I, you know, it'd be awesome if everybody ran out there and started doing like a three clips type show. I mean, that's cool. If that, if that's the blueprint that works for you, that's, you know, that's great. But it doesn't have to be. It's about, like you mentioned before, respecting the craft a little bit. Hey, look, you can do an interview show for as long as you want. And the only thing that I care about is that, you know, you you, you love doing it, number one. I mean, don't, obviously, don't be forcing yourself to be a podcaster if you don't want to be a podcaster. That's crazy. Um, but yeah, if you're, again, looking to get a little bit better, it wasn't even... The interview itself that we talked about, of course, it was good. You had two really good people on the call together, but it was all this upfront work and the research and just like critically thinking about where you want this season to go from start to finish. And then putting a little bow on top of it and saying, this is what I want to ship for this season. And this is what I'll be happy with. And I think a lot of us, again, and especially in the B2B in the interview space, it's just the ongoing, like the faucet is never turned off. And that's fine, I guess, for some folks. But for me, I need that break. <laughs> you know, like that December where you both, you know, prepped and, you know, sent out the emails, got everybody in, uh, uh, scheduled. You did some interviews. And like you said, before we start, you already had like four or so episodes ready. That makes all the difference, like creatively, because you don't want to be in the thick of things, like still trying to, I'm going to say it again, like still trying to schedule and stuff. Give yourself that breathing room. The show will be better in the long run. Don't be worried about, I have to be this nonstop, you know, podcasting machine. Consistency is important. I think you'd agree to that. But if consistency is you saying, I'm putting out eight episodes and that's my season, and then there'll be a month break, and then I'm going to go back at it again, that's fine in my book. It doesn't have to be, you know, the B2B show that shows up three times a week, burning yourself out and your audience out. Well, my, my personal philosophy is I prioritize having a good show over consistency. There, there are people out there, and they maybe have the stats and the SEO and all that other stuff to back it up, and that's fine. Like I'm not, I don't dispute that. But if we're just talking pure creativity, pure, I can be proud of this. I I can put my name beside this. I will always, I will wait months before I put out with my own personal podcast, Obscure Ball. I'll go months between episodes if if I think that a story is not quite ready. So that's my own personal philosophy. Now, obviously, when you're in a collaboration like this, yes. We had eight episodes. We had it. We had we had a deadline. We had a time frame. There there are ways to make that happen. But 
I would err more on the side of, I think people put too much emphasis on consistency and volume over uh, quality. Yeah. Cassos does a survey. In fact, I'm going to mention two surveys here. So Cassos, when you sign up and you become a Cassos customer, there's a survey that comes up and said, what are, your, what are your goals for this podcast? What do you want to do? What type of podcast do you want to run? You know, what do you think you're, you know, striving for in terms of, um, you know, measuring success on your podcast? One of the questions we ask is how many episodes do you plan on publishing a, a month? And the large majority of folks want four or more episodes per month, which is pretty difficult to achieve, <laughs> uh, especially if you're just starting out. So we see this healthy mix of people who sign up who are new to podcasting, uh, like have never touched, they don't even own a microphone yet, or they've been d- pedaling around with it for about six months or so. But then that lines up with th- that majority of folks also saying, hey, I want to do four plus episodes a month. And I'm like, are, do, you, do you have the tickets to the roller coaster ride? Are you this tall to ride this ride, because it's going to be fun. Uh, it's going to be interesting. And, and we have to intercept them. Well, intercepts are kind of a harsh word, but intercept them and say, hey, look, we know it's going to be tough. Here's how you schedule, join the academy, et cetera, et cetera. Learn how to be a more organized podcaster and and don't burn out because that's, that is the biggest reason people stop podcasting. Uh, pod fading, I think is, you know, that other sort of industry term for it. But largely people just say, oh my God, this is a lot more work than I had anticipated. Yeah, so I think I think it was when we talked to, uh, on Three Clips, when we talked to Jack Resider from the Darknet Diaries. I think one of the stats he shared that I, I didn't know, but like I had kind of experienced in my, in my own ways, was that uh, a lot of podcasters quit after six episodes, or most of them don't quite make that threshold for all the reasons you just laid out. And I would recommend if you if you want some help kind of understanding kind of like where does your podcast fit in this huge audio sphere, listen to the to the interview I did with uh, Eric Newsom. It's one of the more recent episodes of audience. He's got a lot of great insight because I think a lot of people work backwards from where they're trying to get right. They're just kind of like, oh, OK, I want to make this podcast and then and then we'll go figure out where where can we where can we promote it or who would the audience be? And I think. If you actually flip that process a little bit, think about like, all right, you know, who who wants to listen to the, like something I, I have to say and what am I trying to accomplish? What story do I need to tell? And then you you design a podcast based on the, the answers to those questions versus deciding before you ever have a microphone, before you've ever really done any research. Well, I'm going to do an episode every week from now until you know the end of the end of time. A, I don't think you're going to accomplish that. And B, you need to decide, is that really necessary? You know, just because some podcasts that you like are able to put out episodes every week, doesn't mean you need to do that. Doesn't need your, doesn't mean just because you're putting out a lot of episodes, doesn't mean you're, you're filling a need that needs to be filled. And again, there's, there's a very long conversation to be had about that, but yeah, broad strokes, I think like reverse that, that, that process a little bit and you might, and you might have more success. Eric Newsom is a perfect se- uh, segue to our next segment. Is, there, is it okay if I segue to, to our next segment? Please, yeah. So obviously an acclaimed creator, uh, ericnewsom.com, has a book, is an author, sells a book, does a podcast, has a newsletter. All of the successful things that you need to, to uh, run a successful podcast, monetize a podcast, uh, be a creator 
in the year 2022. Um, and one would argue there's probably even more stuff <laughs> that, that Eric Newsom would probably want. A YouTube channel, a Discord server. Uh, I'm thoroughly terrified, right? I mean, this is this is a terrifying conversation. All I want, <laughs> I never, <laughs> I don't want to be an author writing a newsletter. Have I don't want to do any of those things. But you're right; they might they might be necessary. Yeah. So he has, you know, all, all of these dots are connected. He's building his platform, if you will, to do all things great, uh, and that's get his content, get his ideas, get his artwork out into the world, and make a living doing it. Part of uh, what you were hinting at before, this mantra of respecting the craft, I think that's really where you and I have had so many discussions about audience before, along with the team. And I really think that that's like where the overall story arc will, should be with with audience. At Castos, we love all of our podcasters here, but we're building software and we're providing content for people who, that, that do want to take it to the next that next step. Hey, how do I monetize it? What's the best newsletter platform to connect up to Castos? How can I monetize my audio? And I think we're now really at a place in terms of the product of Castos where that's the type of podcaster that we'd really like to see here. And that's what we want to talk more about on audience. And I think that's where we'll see more of the content or, or, or the audio sort of, you know, start to go in that direction, right? We'll be talking about more creators. We'll start to see more trends in that space and, you know, interviewing, maybe even doing three clips of other creators right here on, right here on the audience podcast. And it's all about respecting the craft. I think it's, it's important for both of us. Yeah. And I mean, we'll say like, you know, we, we all have our areas of expertise, right? I mean, I think a lot of, we, we've got a lot of great people working at Castos that maybe aren't front and center, people like behind the scenes, people who are working on like the software and these integrations and that type of thing. And that's, that's so important. I think you need that, you need that infrastructure, I think now for, for a podcast. Um, I think, you know, obviously people who know me know I'm, I'm more on the creative side of things. I don't quite, I think that's why it's a good partnership, right? You guys know that stuff. I know the creative side. W one thing I'll say, you know, before we, before we start going down this, I won't call it a rabbit hole, but before we start exploring everything you just talked about, right? How to monetize your podcast, how all that type of thing. I think it, it does start with the craft. I think like, I think um, before you ever get to the point where you're trying to integrate, say, Stripe, like we're going to do with Castos, and I'm sure you'll talk more about that. Uh, before we, before you ever can think about having, say, a, a private podcast with with uh, premium content or premium episodes, maybe is a better way of, of phrasing that. Before you ever get to that point, you've got to get pretty good at what you're doing. You're not going to get there, I feel pretty confident saying, in carbon copying a podcast you like, right? So if you're... If you're um, business consultant and there's another business consultant that has a podcast out there really think like okay are you just going to try to emulate exactly what they do or are you going to say all right there's clearly an interest in this but there's a niche not being filled within this broad framework is a traditional q a the right format for this podcast or do i have things i can repurpose to be a podcast those types of things if you're just treating it like a bucket list item that you're checking off because, oh, well, you know, everyone else in this industry has a podcast. I'm going to fall behind if I don't do one. But then you don't really put much thought into how it can be done in a way that helps not just your business, but the, the people you're serving. 
And it's not just businesses making podcasts too, right? I mean, they're, they're you know, people for, for all types of reasons could be creating audio. Um, so, so whatever niche you're filling out there, you know, you got to think a lot about the creative process before you can ever, in my opinion, think about uh, making a living doing it. Yeah. I mean, listen, as somebody who started out quite literally copying the way my favorite podcaster at the time, Andrew Warner, runs a podcast called Mixergy, still does it today. He's probably, I don't even know, 3,000 episodes, <laughs> you know, uh, probably close to 3,000 because it's been 10 years. So probably above 3,000 at this point. I copied just because I was like, I want to get into podcasting. This is the person that I know, which is the only one that I listened to at that time. So I am going to open the show like he does. I'm going to buy the microphone that he had. It's all very, it's, it's human nature to start that way. I see what people are doing over there. I think I can do that as well. And I'll just, you know, it wasn't a malicious thing <clears throat> or it wasn't even a lazy thing. It was just like, oh, that's the blueprint of what works, I think. So let me do that same thing over here. And I ran it, you know, God, I can't even remember how many episodes I ran that, maybe 10, the first 10 or dozen or so. And then I was just like, oh man, I just, I started to realize like, I am forcing myself to do this thing this other person does on their podcast. I felt more confident 10 to 12 episodes in. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to stake the claim in my own way, <laughs> you know, of doing this is like this big aha moment. After like, you know, just trying to force the square peg into a round hole of someone else's podcast. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not saying don't don't use other shows as you call it a blueprint or as inspiration, but you'll get and, and when you get out there and start making episodes, you'll get a sense of what your strengths and weaknesses are. I mean, I'll, I'll let everyone in on a secret here, and I, and I think I've been pretty open about it before. One of the reasons why I'm such an advocate or a fan of making narrative podcasts is because I'm not good at interviewing people. I'm good at having conversations. I'm good at research. I'm I'm an okay narrator, I think, but I, I'm not great at just having a really concise conversation with people. I I need I need a long block of time. Sometimes, and, and again, it depends on the type of story you're doing. Sometimes you're trying to get more intimate information out of people, and you need multiple conversations, hours long, to get that comfortability. And obviously, you're not going to produce or you know share all of that with with people. But it's interviewing is not one of my strengths, you know, editing and narrating and research and storytelling, I would say are things I'm okay at. And that's why I make narrative podcasts. So I think just because someone in someone you like and respect and something you enjoy is something uh, you want to borrow from, but again, finding kind of your own strengths within that framework or within that blueprint, I think will help add a little bit of originality and personality to, to your show, to your podcast. Hey, look, if you want to make your show a little bit better, why not run a survey like us? Castos.com slash survey. It's castos.com slash survey. You probably heard the last episode, maybe. It was called Steal the Survey because it's actually a, an openly distributed survey from Edison Research. I obviously have been clued into it by Tom Webster, and, and Evo actually runs the same survey format. And uh, it's our survey. We'd like to make this show a little bit better, as we've been talking about. And if you can take that survey at castos.com slash survey, that'll help us make the show a little bit better. And if you're a podcaster, which you probably are or will be very soon, um, take a look at the questions. Uh, the links are in the last episode. We'll link them in the description of this episode as well. But you can download the survey from Edison Research for free. There was probably 34. 
five-ish questions off the top of my head. I pared it down to just about a dozen, I think, because um, it's a traditional media podcast, I guess is what I could say. Like, it's meant for, you know, radio and and, and kind of television, but for those types of big brand businesses that are getting into podcasting, this survey helps kind of get you some audience insight. So you can download it for free at, at Edison. Just search for Podcast Survey Edison on Google. You'll find it. I believe it's the first result, but don't forget castos.com slash survey. The audience podcast, we're here to, um, we're here to respect the craft. That's what we're here to do. Stuart, you and I, we're going to break that down over the coming, over the coming episodes. I'm really excited for it. Yeah, well, that, that's that's great. I think a survey's uh, great. Yeah, I'm 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 curious to see people's responses to it, and it's it's a smart approach as creators, you know, for us to kind of practice what we preach, right? We're saying like, you know, understand who your audience is and what they want to hear. Well, this is kind of our chance to do that. I mean, you know, I, I think you and I have talked a lot about what can audience be, and and the really the possibilities are endless. I'm a big believer that in this medium, there's almost anything you can do. Uh, there's there's really no limits, but you know, we we could make something that sounds beautiful and is really thoughtful, but if it's not interesting uh, to the people listening, then then what's the point? So it'll be it'll be great to hear to hear those results, and uh, it'll it'll be fun to kind of go through that and figure out what what do people want, and then we'll we'll make a show or start tailoring our show or altering the show, however you want to think about it, to to kind of fill those needs. There is some limits time. And I think we're out of time today, Stuart. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out today and uh, helping me understand where uh, the, the helping me and, and the listener understand where audience is headed. And I'm really uh, proud to be working together with you again, again, and again. Yeah. I mean, because we're always we've always <laughs> been working together, but now I don't know. We're just making it more formal. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I'm excited for audience. I hope you are too. Castos.com/survey. Yeah. Any questions for us? Hello at castos.com. Go Duke? No, 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 no. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> All right.